Uh, we're in this series called The Rock, and um, we're kicking off actually a brand new teaching uh, calendar year with this series. Um, my headdress is just not working today, so we're, let, let, me, let me adjust my, my mic there and see if that, that'll work more comfortably. All right, uh, a whole new calendar teaching series on, um, on the church. What is the church? What, what are some perceptions we might have of the church, whether you've been in church for a long time or out of church or never been in church or whatever? What are some perceptions, that stereotypes that really aren't supposed to be there, uh, some things that maybe we do as a church that, uh, or as the church that maybe isn't supposed to be there, or things that we do that are supposed to be there that might be a little odd or wonky or whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, some stereotypes and, and stuff that we might have of the church, but God never intended us to have these stereotypes of the church. And we're kicking this off with the series based on God's vision for his church. What's the ideal? What's the, what's the grand picture that God has for his church? And we started, and we've got the little prop, rated my kids' uh, toy bin for the uh, uh, Geotrax uh, prop here. We've got a house on a mountain. And we start off with a uh, passage in Isaiah that talks about a house being on a mountain and the nation streaming to the house to find out who God is and what he wants of their life. And uh, the nations are anybody that's not God's people. And so we've got a house up on the mountain, and the house has some functions. We list this in four different ways here. Everyone's talked to, everyone's challenged, everyone has a place, and everyone laughs. And so if you want more about that, you can download our app and download that sermon uh, from two weeks ago. Uh, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon and preach a new one. Okay, I was going to say, at least somebody's going to give an amen. Paul's not in here, or else he would have. Last week, last week, we talked about the rock. We talked about the mountain. The mountain is the Messiah. The mountain is Jesus himself. He's higher than any mountain. He is the greatest. He's the awesomest. He's the strongest. He's the all-knowing. He's everything. He's everything. And he proved that by living a perfect life. He proved that by dying and then resurrecting. He proved that by ascending up to heaven. And he proved that by predicting it all. If you can do that, it's pretty impressive. And so even if you have questions here about Jesus, we invite you to ask those questions because those are pretty big claims. And those are some things that, that you've got to get taken care of before you have faith in Jesus. But the house, his church, is firmly planted on the rock, the mountain, the foundation. Now this week we're going to focus back up to the house. But not as a house as a whole, but a house as the building material. What is the house made up of? Okay? What is the house made up of? Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe, maybe I, I'm going to need some help again. A few weeks ago, the first, first week, I talked, about, I talked about the little nursery rhyme, church nursery rhyme that we have. Um, um, this is the... See the steeple. See the steeple. Open it up see all the people lies you've been told lies all right this is why i forgot it you've been told lies you know really it's all it is is see the church see the people and you've got it all right all right i want to see this and, and a guy by the name of peter who actually walked and talked with jesus was jesus main right hand man while on this earth jesus main leader after jesus left he's the one that preached the first sermon that we know of as kind of a new testament sermon the first sermon saw three thousand people get saved that day and and the church started on that day this is that that peter who writes this and what's interesting is all of this imagery 
he taps into. Isaiah wrote 700 years before Christ. Jesus himself spoke the words that we looked at last week. And now Peter, a guy who walked with Jesus, many years after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended, is writing this now through the filter of what he now understands to be the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to throw all the scriptures up on the screen. We saw the instructions on how to follow along in the Bible app earlier. This amazing passage that taps into all these metaphors and how it ties all together with us. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Coming to him, which is Jesus, a living stone. Really probably better translated, the living stone. Uh, Peter later talks about Jesus being the cornerstone in just a minute. Rejected by men, men crucified Jesus. They said, no, you are not the one we were waiting for. you got to die. They rejected Jesus, but valuable by God. This sets the stage not only for Jesus, but for us as well. Because he goes on to say, you yourselves as living stones. That's a fascinating, paradoxical metaphor, isn't it? Living stones? No stone is living. You look a rock at a rock in your yard. Shoot, we live in the Ozarks. Every one of us lives on a rock quarry if we wanted to, right? Ever, ever try to build a fence? Posto digger, anybody? Who prefers dynamite? All right, there we go. That's the, yeah, that's, the, that's, that's, yeah, that's us. Stones, they're not living, but he calls us and calls Jesus living stones. Now, stones were the building material. They were the building material to go into a house. And and, and stones in the hand of a builder can make an awesome house. But they're living in in this metaphor. They're living. They're breathing. They can make decisions on their own. They can tell the builder no if they want to. Right? They are what? Being built. Being built into a spiritual house. All the way back to Isaiah, there's a house at the top of the mountain. And Peter's telling us a little more in depth about the house, about how it's built together, that there's these stones, and God puts these stones together. And just like Jesus, these stones are often rejected by other men, other people. Anybody ever feel rejected before? I know this is going to come to a shock to you, but I have felt rejected before. Especially by Lydia. It just crushes my heart when I go home every Sunday. You felt rejected before. But, 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 we'll see them accepted by God. This house, though, for a holy priesthood, we'll talk about that in a minute, offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you never thought about the fact that you can have sacrifices acceptable to God, but you can through the mountain of Jesus Christ. That God will accept your sacrifice. God will accept your life through Jesus. And I don't care what you did last night, this morning, what you did walking into the door today. He will accept your life through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that as we we go along. For it is contained in Scripture. Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. That's Jesus. And the one who believes in Him will be never put to shame. Look, I know church has a, has a kind of talk about stereotypes of church has a bad rap about, about man, church, churches, church just makes people feel guilty and shameful. 
And I know and I understand. Because quite often, quite often when churches talk about our sin that we all have, we talk about the guilt and shame of sin, and then at the end of that, we put a period. We give people the impression that that's the end of the sentence. But with God, it's a comma and but. It's a comma and but. The sentence keeps going. See, all of us here know this. I did not need anybody to tell me that I was guilty when I sinned. Because I felt it myself. But anybody that puts their faith in Jesus, puts their life on the mountain, will never be put to shame. But, but our culture doesn't like Christians. The culture tries to put Christians to shame. Who gives? Whatever you want to say there. God won't put you to shame. Who cares about what humans will do if God doesn't put us to shame? Right? Right? If God accepts us, who cares what the government thinks about church? Right? Who cares? Because God will never put us to shame. He doesn't want our sin to end in guilt and shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, if you're sitting here and you're not believing in Jesus this morning, the stone that builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. I'm not going to get into the destined word today. That's way too much for what we want to get across this morning. And too many people have fought for thousands of years over what that means. But if you come in this morning rejecting Jesus, look, first of all, we want to answer your questions. The same people that put Jesus on the cross 50 days later bowed their knee in repentance and they were saved. Okay? So none of us have done that, right? We were not there. We did not put Jesus on the cross. I know, you know, metaphorically and blah, 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 we can talk about that. But literally, we did not put Jesus on the cross, okay? So if those people 2,000 years ago put Je- who put Jesus literally said crucify him, 50 days later could repent and be saved, you can too, okay? So therefore, we've got this rock, this cornerstone that people trip over if you reject Jesus. Because no matter if you were born at the altar in church, there was a point in time that you rejected Jesus and said, I will do my own thing, thank you. That we stumbled over the cornerstone. We have one or two reactions to stumbling over the cornerstone. We can look back at the cornerstone and say, how dare you trip me? Or say, hey, look, something that's solid. Something that will break me. I think I'll put my life on that cornerstone. Which one have you done? And if you put your life on, on the cornerstone that is Jesus, He will start to put you into His house and build you together as His living stones. See, we don't want you to go to church. Don't. We don't go to church to check off that box and say, I've done my duty for the week. We go to church because he's building us into something as a collective people. What is that? What is that? 
Four things. Four things. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Four metaphors that he gives us. Four metaphors based on the guilt and shame that are the opposite of the guilt and shame that we feel when we sin. See, we feel unwanted. We feel used and abused and used up and thrown to the side and unwanted. We feel like we could never have direct access to God ever again because we've messed up. We feel like we are ordinary. We're just like everybody else. And we feel like we're trash. We feel like we're useless. We might as well just be rumpled up and thrown in the trash can because it doesn't matter. But these four metaphors directly attack those four thoughts. He says that we are a chosen race, and really race is better interpreted their generation or seed. What is, it? What is a simple word for chosen seed? Or chosen offspring? Adoption, right? Adoption. What does God do with, with His living stones? He adopts them. He says, I want you. See, biological, you're stuck with them, right? Adoption is a choosing. Parents saying, I want you. And that's what God says through the cross. I want you back. I made you to be my child. You walked away from me, but I want you back. I want to adopt you. I choose you. And then he says, a royal priesthood. A kingdom of priests. See, priests, they were the ones that had direct access to God and allowed other people to have direct access to God. And always, 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 from the Old Testament to the New Testament, he always was saying, God was always telling his people, you have direct access to me. Yes, yes, yes. I put, I put Old Testament priests and now New Testament elders, pastors, whatever you want to call them, to, to, to help you understand that. But you have direct access to God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you think you can't have direct access to God. Hebrews 4.16 says, I can come confidently into the throne room of God. We do not have to cower. We do not have to crawl. We do not have to grovel in the, th in the throne room of God. We can walk in the doors, not be brazen about it, but we can walk in the doors confidently because He is our adopted Father. Anybody see brave? The little triplets? Hellions? Forget that part of them. What did they do? Now, they were biological, not, not adopted, but what did they do? they could care less what the king was doing. They could care less. He could be in an important meeting giving his daughter away in marriage. And what would they do? Run into the room, run into his lap, run all around him and on top of him, giggling and laughing. Why? Because they, they had a dad that allowed direct access always to, their, to his throne room. Same thing with God. He gives us direct access always because we are His adopted children. We have a Abba, Father, King who adopted us. 
And that's how He is making you and that's how He is making those who trust in Him. And then thirdly, He says that we're a holy nation. And maybe you say, wait, wait, nation and race, how's that different? Well, again, race has more to do with seed and offspring and, and nation more to do with people groups. We are a holy nation. And really, really what God is getting across here, or Peter's getting across here, is more about the word holy. Holy means set apart for a special purpose. See, what he is saying is that I have a people group that is set apart for a special purpose. Look, we're all Americans here. I can say that with fair amount of confidence looking at us. As Paul pointed out last week, we don't know how to clap. We're white people. Right? That's about as good as it gets here. But as followers of Jesus, people have put themselves on the mountain. We are a special set-apart people group inside America. Look, this is why. This is why. We can say, I can vote for Trump or Hillary. <gasps> this is why. Because they're not our daddy. Maybe that metaphor didn't work out quite as well this year, but you get my, you get my drift. They're not our king. They're not our savior. We live in America temporarily. But if we are a holy nation, we are permanently in God's kingdom. So vote. Vote your conscience. Vote whatever, whatever you think. But even if the person who vote, is voted in, their first act is to kill every Christian, we win, right? We still win, right? We act like this is the only kingdom we've got. It's not. We are a holy nation, a people set apart for a specific purpose as a people, as a people, as a local church, but you as a person, God has put his special touch on you to fulfill a special purpose in his house. That's a set apart people group from this people group we call America. Vote. But remember, they're your temporary leader. Jesus is your king. And that's what matters. That's why we don't have to have a Christian in president. They are not our savior. Jesus is. And it's all temporary, whatever we have on this earth. Temporary. We're a holy nation set apart for a specific purpose. And the purpose isn't to make a Christian nation. It's not the purpose. And lastly, he says, a people for his possession. He values you. He values you. He gives us value. Look, when you start talking about value and us having value inside of church, there's a strand of Christian that would say, but we're dirt and we're going to go back to dirt. Yes, 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 that's all, that, all that's true. 
But take a breath, please. What makes us valuable is the fact that God put His image in us and then He breathed the breath of life into us. And whatever we find valuable, we will go to any length to claim it and to restore it. I recently got the chance to tour the Martin Guitar Factory. I found myself 15 minutes from it uh, during my sabbatical thing. And um, I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I'm going to Martin Guitar Factory. And so uh, that's the inside. And then I've got a picture of one of the guitars that's being made there. That's actually one of the uh, special order guitars, special order guitars. And so they make, you know, kind of we're talking about set apart, set apart guitars for people. They say, I want it this way. And if you got enough coin, you get it that way, right? Just like Burger King, more expensive. I got one of the catalogs there, and not flame grilled. I got one of the catalogs there. Got one of, flipping through the, one of the catalogs. They have a guitar that is $30,000. $30,000. That's some coin, right? That's some coin. Like, some of you are like, I'd love to make that in a year, right? Right, right? That's some coin. What if, what if you owned that guitar what would you do what would you do if somebody was taking that guitar doing this huh 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 you just thought unchristian thoughts didn't you (laughs) right right Yeah, yeah, yeah why because that guitar has value to you and if you, you, you might have a guitar that cost you $150, but if somebody did that, you would think unchristian thoughts about that. Why? That guitar has value to you. Value is what we would do to, to, to claim it and restore it. What did God do to claim us and restore us? Died on the cross? How much value is that? that He gave His own life to give us eternal life. How much value is that? Those of you that struggle with the concept of church, the concept of Jesus, and what's this all about, it is all about letting the unwanted know they are wanted by God. Letting those that feel like they don't have direct access and can't get direct access to God to say, I can get direct access to God through Jesus, through the rock. Those that feel ordinary and just like everybody else to say, I am set apart for a specific purpose by God. And those that feel like trash, we do this so that they can realize that to God, they are valuable. I've got study guide in, that, in, the, in the event Bible app with the scripture from the Old Testament talking about God shouting over us and rejoicing over us because he values us. That's why we do this. And as Christians, he continuously molds us into those four things as living stones being built into his house. We can either be a living stone that says, Builder, do whatever you want with me. Or I'm going to be stubborn. I'm going to act like a stone. 
and be hard-headed and stubborn and I'll just do my own way. And in honesty, what do we do? We, we jump back and forth, right? One moment, especially on Sunday morning, right? We're like, I'm in your hands, God! And then Monday morning, probably driving to work with a stubborn old fart that God can't do anything with. Which one are we? Which one are we? Which one do you want to be? You want to give your life to the rock who wants to mold you into this? I invite you. I invite you to do that this very morning. If you need to pray with somebody, there's going to be people around. We will pray with you. Because we are imperfect rocks built on a perfect mountain. So no pretense, no nothing, we'll pray with you. For those of us that, man, that's settled, we're on the rock, how much are you in the builder's hands? No questions asked. In the builder's hands. How much are you there? During this time of reflection, think on that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the fact that, that you are building us into this house, into this house. Let us see you work to make this house something amazing. In your name we pray. Amen.